Hello and welcome to The Blend Podcast. I'm your host, Mike Ruff, and there's big news this week. The Blend Award finalists have been named. We'll have one of this year's judges, Hayley Powell, on the podcast a little later to chat about this year's entries. But first, have you ever considered the full potential of your front of house offering? Today's first guest, John Batten of Auto IQ, will be speaking at The Blend in a couple of weeks' time, explaining how you can add big numbers to your bottom line through your front of house team. So we thought we'd get him on the podcast to give us a bit of a teaser. John, welcome to The Blend Podcast. Thanks for joining us. Thanks for having us here. It's, uh, I've been really looking forward to this. Pleased to hear it. And we're very much looking forward to seeing you at The Blend in just a couple of weeks time now. But before we get into that, it might be useful to get a little context on your career. How did you get to where you are today? Good question. So today I own Auto IQ and we exist to help UK garage owners be successful. Um, ultimately, we've got a system and when we implement that system within the business, it reduces the garage owner's stress, helps them to dramatically increase their profitability. And with that, um, you know, it's great if they build long term wealth and bring some security to, to what they're doing. How did we get here though? I suppose like a, you know, a lot of long-term business owners, how we've really got here is through constant change. You know, it's been a real iterative process. You know, if I look back, I've been really fortunate uh, to have owned garages and helped to develop their teams for over three decades now. And it's been a lot of fun. Uh, I suppose the battle scars that you get from that, you know, from being in an industry that long, really helped me to understand what's required for a garage to be successful. You know, it's been a really interesting journey and I now recognise that for a garage owner to survive and thrive in today's climate, it's based on way more than technical capability you know, in the workshop. And I learned that in my own business when you know, we run a garage. Um, now, it's more important than ever to have an amazing marketing team. Uh, you need you know, phenomenal front of house. Accurate data within the business, that's really important for, you know, for you know, on-the-spot analysis. Uh, and the right systems and processes to actually guarantee the right result long term so that you get that you know, security and profitability you need. And you know, without all of those important things in place, the garage can really struggle. So you know, Auto IQ, we've made it our goal to plug what's effectively a big gap in the industry over the last nine years. Um, we've brought to market some interesting products and services. You know, we now... Uh, we've got three front of house programs for development and coaching at front of house. We obviously, you know, we've become uh, reasonably well known for developing business owners with our accelerator programs. Uh, we have an in-house marketing services company under the Auto IQ umbrella, where our team acquire, you know, an awful lot of the right clients for our customers. Uh, we've got a virtual front of house service where our team answer calls for busy garages. Um, and in the last 18 months, we've actually started a software company creating some really cool bespoke solutions for front of house teams. So, you know, I suppose the experience over the years helps me to see a problem within the industry. And at Auto IQ, we create a solution to some really specific industry problems. It sounds like an ongoing accumulation of solutions, and it must be a particularly exciting time to be doing what you're doing, because it seems many independent garages are increasingly aware that they should be considering their business operations more critically. Certainly since COVID, I think there's been a change of tide. Would you agree? I couldn't agree more. Um, it's really interesting you mentioned COVID. The, we were running our, uh, our business accelerator at that point 
and COVID hit and, um, you know, as soon as that happened, I thought, well, you know, it's my job just to keep everybody pedaling, just to kind of, you know, pour oil on troubled waters. And, and little did we know at that point in time, you know, what a benefit it was going to be to the people that we were working closely with. And we were having webinars pretty much every other day, you know, talking about all of the important challenges that they faced and, and how we're going to get over those. One of the nice things that we do is we help people to have a reserve of money in the business. And because a lot of the people that we were working with at that point in time had that reserve of cash, it meant that they could calm down a little bit. And, you know, and once we'd got over the initial panic, what it actually gave was breathing space. And it was breathing space for, to circle back round to actually kind of take stock on as to why they own this business. You know, what did this business have to do for them? And rather than having to try and develop their business and do the, the BAU, the business as usual stuff, you know, the fixing cars to seeing customers every day, it's almost like they had eight to 12 weeks of constant development on a daily basis, which was almost a platform for them to, you know, come out the other side and to kind of push through again. So 12 weeks without thinking cars, it opens your eyes to a lot of other possibilities. So and I don't think, you know, I couldn't agree more. There, there is, it's, it's never been so in the forefront of people's minds that we now need to be developing a business rather than just fixing cars. It's so much more than that. And this is exactly what The Blend is all about, bringing all of this experience and expertise together under one roof. It's a unique event. So what are your thoughts on the lineup, John? Well, it's always good. Uh, I remember the first Blend. It was great. I think there was myself, there was Jennifer Webb and the one and only Dave Massey. Uh, and it was a small group of people in a room and it was a phenomenal event, you know, and then it got a bit bigger. And year two was better than year one. And then obviously year three last year was, you know, fantastic. That was on a different level again. So I've got big expectations for the blend this year because, you know, it just keeps on delivering. It's great. I think the real power to it is when you start to introduce some of the garage owners that the blend gives a platform to, to tell their stories. You know, so if you take Tom Cockins this year, you know, I've worked with Tom for a period of time. I've seen a lot of, you know, iterative changes within the business. I know the challenges that he overcome to make it the success that it is today. And I think, you know, whilst we've got uh, industry speakers like me, I think the real power comes across when you've got somebody that says, look at me, I was in the same position as you, the garage owner. This is what I've done and you can do exactly the same thing too. They just cut through you know, kind of so much. And I think that's just so, so powerful. And, you know, this, this world isn't about fixing the problem yourself, is it? It's about finding somebody that's fixed it before you, listening to them to see how they did it, seeing if the context of their business is the same as yours, and then implementing it. And I can't think of anywhere better to do that than the blend. There's just, you know, so much knowledge in that room. Excellent advice there. Introduce us to the topic that you'll be presenting at the blend, if you could. Oh, yes. It's one close to my heart and a bit of a mission that I'm on at the moment. Uh, and the topic is front of house first. Empirical evidence has shown me through, you know, working with hundreds of garage owners that, that currently the focus in the industry should be questioned as to whether pushing technical training is really the right way to go. Yes, it's essential. You know, we offer technical training. Um, you need to have, you know, those vehicles fixed to a high quality, to a high standard. And yes, it's, you know, kind of getting more complex. But that isn't going to put another pound in the till. And quite frankly, for a number of years, we've been helping garage owners uh, improve their front of house teams and add hundreds of thousands of pounds of gross profit to their business without any focus on technical. So, you know, we intend to take the learning that we've helped 
people that we've worked with and, and, and have implement that to add these you know big numbers to their bottom line. Um, we're there to take that learning, show others at the blend how they can do that through their front of house team. It's just an area in our industry that isn't focused on and we intend to shine a bit of a light on it. If there's one thing that you'd hope attendees take away from your presentation at the blend, what would it be? Okay, so it would really be to say to turn their gaze towards increasing their profitability through a focus on sales. That's really what this is all about. If they gave as much love to front of house as they'd given to you know the technical development of their teams, then they'd not only have a business that would thrive, but it would ride out you know, any of the humps that we've got in the road so much easier than any of their competition. Focusing on that front of house is, is, is going to be the key. It means you'll be here in 10 years rather than there be a question mark over that. Is front of house overlooked? You mentioned that the focus is on technical training. Is that at a cost of front of house? You know, so I'm a serial business owner and every time I've started something, I've learned a little bit more. I think the first three that I started, I thought that that business was going to be a success based on my capability at carrying out the thing. You know, so in, in, in our industry, it's be good at technical and your business will be a success. In the businesses that we started thereafter, the thing that we think about, first of all, is who is our customer? What problem do we fix for them? How do we market to them? And how do we convert them into sales and long-term customers? Now, if, if I'm quite sure if you went and found a business owner that started a few businesses and they've now got a successful business, they'd say that at the forefront it would be marketing and sales, marketing and sales, marketing and sales. I think the reason that, it's, that marketing isn't talked about in our industry is because lots of garage owners want to do it themselves and because they don't understand it and they can't do it, they don't look at it. So that, I think that's one thing. And I completely get that and I completely understand that. The one thing that they can do, because garage owners are really smart, you know, they are particularly good at fixing problems as soon as they understand what the problem is. Yeah. So I think, you know, our role in this is to, is to help them to understand how important it is through telling stories about other people that have been there and trodden that path before them. And as soon as they understand it, I think they will pick the baton up and run with it just like they have with technical training once they actually realise how fundamentally it can change their business and how much more fun that business is to run when you've got a couple of hundred grand that you didn't have. You know, it takes that stress away and you can have a lot more fun in business once you've got that excess of cash. And that happens in front of house. We've done it too many times now for it to be a question mark over it. And it's not me saying this, it's the people that we work with telling this story. What does a thriving garage business look like? Okay, well, I think it's a bit bigger than the business itself. I firmly believe that a business should not exist if it doesn't fix a problem for somebody. You know, so first of all, for a, for a business to thrive, it has to fix a, a problem for the customer. For something to thrive, we need to consider who are our customers and how do we fix it for them. We've got to work for the team that work there. And I think if you look at businesses so far in our industry, they care so much about their customers and they do keep them safe. And it is, everyone's so committed to a first-time fix and all those kind of standard things, you wouldn't question that part of it. When I look at the people that I work with closely, I see so many garage owners that put their teams over and above themselves. You know, it's not unusual to see a garage owner and his team are paid higher than he is. But it's for it to fully thrive, you know, it needs to bring um, profitability to the garage owner where he can reinvest that in the assets within the business that are ultimately going to release him from that business and bring long-term wealth. That's what it's all about. 
you know, and lots of garage owners tick two of those boxes, do great things for their customers, you know, do great things for their team, but they don't put themselves at the centre of it. Thriving is ticking all three of those boxes, and for me, a business needs to deliver, you know, two great numbers. It needs to pay the business owner uh, a great wage, what they deserve, and it needs to deliver that, that net profit that lets them build long-term wealth. We're all aware of the challenges that independent garages face. I'm thinking skill shortage problems, vehicle data access issues. But are there any hidden challenges that perhaps aren't spoken about as much? I'll ask you a question. You mentioned that we've got skill shortage. Why is it the garage owners that I work with don't feel the pain of that skill shortage like a lot of garage owners? Well, I guess it comes down to planning. Well, kind of. That's one part of it. But if you think about, you know, putting a job advert out there, ultimately... That's a marketing exercise. You're going out to market and you're saying, you know, you're saying, we would like to buy you. You know, come and work for us. Um, quite simply, you know, what do you think would happen uh, to the availability of, uh, of technicians in your business if you could have a better offer than your competition? You're going to get a better result, aren't you? You're going to get a better result, and that's what we find. I actually think that you know, problems in the industry, yes, they're, they're there. Some of the things like data... You know, we don't have a direct control on that, but there are many that the garage owner has a direct control over. Yeah, and if you have the profitability in the business, you can overcome a lot of problems that other garages that don't have that same focus. You know, if you could offer significantly more in your headline number on that job on Indeed, then you won't find somebody that's in the marketplace, but you will pull them out of another business that they're not exactly happy in. And that's what we find, you know, we're doing for the people that we work with. So I don't actually think there's a skill shortage problem. I actually think there's a shortage of profit in a business that lets them actually run that business correctly. And here's the, here's the reason why. Yeah, so what's the, what are the challenges that we've got? So the, the biggest challenge, I think, to a garage is, well, there, there are many fold. Yeah, so and, unless you've got a consistent flow of the right customers to the business, then you're going to find it a challenge. Yeah, so they've got a they've got a marketing challenge, and um, it requires a specialist skill set, you know, kind of to be able to deliver that. Once you've overcome a marketing challenge and you've got your marketing machine working, and here's the one that that they can directly affect, and I think this is the biggest one. It's uh, understanding that they've got a pricing challenge out there, and at the minute there seems to be an industry standard where they take their cost price. And they add an amount to that. So it's called cost plus pricing. And I think unless we fix that as an industry to swap it round to value-based pricing, which is something that, that we base all of our ethos around, you know, charging what the market will stand rather than a cost plus. As soon as they've cracked that, then they'll have the profitability in the business. They can invest in the assets that they need in their team. They can find new team members because they can go out to market with a better offer. They can be successful. And I think that's the, the hidden one that isn't being talked about. That's fascinating because it is completely different to the way most garages currently look at it. I suppose as a business, it sometimes takes someone from the outside to come in and offer a refreshing reality check even if it's not necessarily what they expect or want to hear, but it's for the right reasons. This is all an iterative process with us. You know, we decide on a very specific outcome to a very specific problem, and the first thing that we try might not work. So we'll try again and try again and try again. 
And because we've been doing this for years, ultimately we come up with a solution, you know, and we don't put, mind putting money behind it to try and test it to make sure that it works. And then once we've found something that works, we refine it. And then once we've refined it, then we roll it out to our clients. And yeah, we, we do look at things differently. It's kind of what we're all about. Now, I know that every garage that has worked with AutoIQ has actually increased profits. And I think we're beginning to understand why. But perhaps you could tell us a bit about your strategy for achieving this. Yeah, it's really, really straightforward. So the strategy that we use is fixed. Yeah, the tactics that we use within each individual business are different because each business has got its own context. They've got different team members. They enjoy different things in the business. You know, some people just like servicing cars and some people like Diag. So you can't just roll out one approach for everybody. It's context. So we'll look, we'll analyse the business. We'll analyse it from a profitability perspective and we'll, uh, we'll then look at how much they're leaving on the table. So that's kind of step one. I've built so many algorithms that we use for prediction on uh, how quickly we can improve the profitability of a garage and what level we can improve it to in the short term. Because ultimately what, what we want to do is to help them earn a lot more money within eight to 12 weeks so that they can then reinvest that to build the assets long term. So we'll do that. Ultimately, we simplify everything that they do. Yeah, so we no longer work on uh, every car as it comes through the door. We identify the ones that have got the highest margins in them and we help them to understand that if they work on a vehicle that's got low margin, how that's gonna affect their profitability. We simplify the type of work that we do, the number of vehicles that we work on, and we have a lot of clarity over who they should serve as customers because we only want them to help them serve customers that are a benefit to them and not all clients are. Now, it's interesting here because, you know, some people will then say, well, we don't want to work for Fleet or we don't want to do Diag, you know, or I'm fed up doing service work all day. Again, that's where the context comes in. We find out what they love. We then identify where the profitability is in that part of the business and we help them to do more of it. So that's, that's as a strategic point of view. Yeah? Then we've written standard operating procedures. And if I'm being honest, we've got better at implementing these over the versions of Gone. You know, I think we're on version nine of our program now. Uh, we get that across the line with their management because then they're going to bring that in with um, you know, their team beneath them. And... If they're struggling to get that across the line uh, themselves, then we'll go into the business with them. We'll work shoulder to shoulder to make sure that they can you know, carry out these standard oper operating procedures that we know are successful. So we do that. Um, Garage Hive is great, helps us to keep a, a close eye remotely. You know, we can look at the reportings, which is indicative of some of the actions that's being taken in the business, which allows us to react quickly if we see some of the numbers go off, you know, awry slightly. So ultimately, it's about analysis, understanding their context, dropping our procedures in, helping them to do the work that they enjoy, removing the customers that don't serve them and bringing in more that do. And we see some dramatic increases. We had some new guys start about 12 weeks back. Some of the numbers are amazing. Uh, what do you think to this? With no changes to the business, other than using our system, within 12 weeks of starting Accelerator, they'd improve their monthly gross profit by £27,000. That is some achievement. There's no question. I suppose it goes to show what a different perspective on your business can actually achieve. You mentioned there about only doing jobs you like. It sounds simple enough and makes complete sense, but it does go against the grain of your natural instinct. 
if a vehicle turns up at your shutter doors with some money, you instinctively want to take up that opportunity. But actually, as you point out, John, it could end up eating into valuable ramp time, preventing you from working on far more profitable jobs. Yeah, it's looking at where the profitability is. And most of the industry is focused on improving efficiency. It's something that I don't look at. Yeah, looking at technician efficiency doesn't even feature in you know, kind of our dashboards. It comes down to where is the value, where is the profitability. And the talk I did, I think, a couple of blends back, which um, brought less is more you know, to an awful lot of people, you start to look at some of these numbers that we're seeing now. And there are certain garages where we actually halve the cars in the garage, but we double the profit. And it is so counterintuitive to the way that we should run, because a lot of people look to the, um, they look to the main dealers and they look to emulate the business strategy that you would use in a main dealer. You know, but that vehicle at one through three years old is a completely different product to the work, one that we're working on at four through 15. So you can't have the same model. It just, I found that it just doesn't work. So, but what we do have does work and we've proved it in you know, hundreds of garages now. John, we are running out of time, sadly, but is there one key message you would like to share with our listeners? Yeah, I think it's when you come to the blend, talk to as many people as you can. And rather than ask them, what would you do? Ask them how they fix the problems that you've got. As soon as you understand, you know, that their context is the same as yours, because there are many ways to fix a problem. You know, the last thing we want is somebody to implement something on good advice that doesn't apply to their business. Yeah, but ask the people there uh, that have fixed the problems that you're facing because I'm quite sure there's not a problem in that room that hasn't been fixed and it's a wealth of knowledge. John Patton, it's been fascinating having you on. We're very much looking forward to seeing you in a couple of weeks at The Blend. But for now, thank you very much for joining us on The Blend podcast. Looking forward to it. See you there. The Blend podcast, inspiring success from within the community. Join us at The Blend on the 7th of October at the Eastside Rooms in Birmingham. Hosted by David Massey, the hotly anticipated Blend Awards takes place on the evening of The Blend, celebrating the achievements of independent garages and those who work in them. The categories include Community Garage of the Year, sponsored by GSF Car Parts, Community Member of the Year, sponsored by Paget, and Garage Hive Innovator Award, sponsored by Garage Hive. This year also brings the addition of Garage of the Year Awards, sponsored by Castrol and the Race Group, and Staff Recognition Awards, sponsored by OneTech Auto Hub. These two new additions have now been evaluated by a panel of judges consisting of Andy Crook, Hayley Pels and myself. The judging process is now over, the votes are in and you can find the complete list of finalists on the Blend website. With that in mind, let's have a chat with Policy and Public Affairs lead at the IMI and Blend Awards judge Hayley Pels. Hayley, welcome to the Blend podcast. Thank you, Mike. I'm really excited to be here. Having just completed the judging process, let's start with your thoughts on the quality of entrance. I've been an industry judge for awards for quite a number of organisations for a few years now. Well, gosh, I think actually a bit longer than that. Um, And I was really struck by the quality of entrance from the Garage Hive community, uh, how personal the submissions were, how raw they were. And it really did take me through a journey of their individual businesses, how unique they are, what they offer to their community, and how the Garage Hive 
service has revolutionized just not just their way of thinking within their business, but that community aspect to the whole infrastructure of Garage Hive, um, how it's community led. It, it feels like a real cooperative and a new way of doing things. How important are award ceremonies for independent garages? As somebody who really benefited um, from industry awards previously, it served as a springboard uh, for, for my career and also for the success of my workshop. Uh, prior to my role with the Institute of the Motor Industry, um, I was known an operator for an independent workshop operating in Bridgend, South Wales. And showcasing where we stood in our peer group um, to our customers and our suppliers definitely changed the interaction that we had in a really positive way. It gave confidence to our customers that they were dealing with uh, an organisation that took the the sector seriously and that um, respect was reciprocated. Um, sometimes it could go in the opposite direction. It, it did also contribute to a high expectation sometimes. But I don't think that's a bad thing for your personal development, for the development of your business, um, to be continuously at that cutting edge. And I think that's what Garage Hive really does develop within these businesses, is that tool so you can continuously develop. So for me, from my personal experience, industry recognition is so important. Um, but also as an industry judge, um, I think giving back to, to that process has been really important to me and my journey um, to make sure that I can help as many people as I can uh, with that recognition. And I'm so pleased to see Garage Hive embracing this and making it part of the blend. It's recognition that's good for business, good for customers, but it's also good for those working within these garages too, right? Absolutely. I think being part of something that is going places is really exciting. And knowing that without your contribution, that recognition wouldn't happen. And that was something that really came through within a lot of the applications for the awards uh, was that it was a team effort. There was no team really that said, oh, I did this. My business is that. It was very much our team, our family, um, our combined effort, um, which was just wonderful to see. So what were you looking for when judging? Oh, gosh, that is a really difficult question, um, because I think when judging awards, it is really important to look at the whole cohort with an open mind. So you really want to be quite sanguine at the start of that process and not have any bias or preconceived uh, opinions. The way that the um, information was submitted to me, it was really easy for me to disregard the top sheet, which had the information of the business. So I felt I was looking at each application blind and I found that really important to my process. Um, I didn't want to have any preconceived ideas uh, to taint or um, create a bias. Because sometimes I think it's difficult to maintain that neutrality if 
a name that you know pops up. And it is a community that is highly interactive and it's difficult sometimes to not have that spring out of you. So some of the things I was looking for, um, you, you wanted, I think, to showcase what good looks like. I think um, that was what I was really looking for, was that whole package of who the organisation was and where they were going. What about staff recognition then? How did you find it whittling down the entrance to this one? I found this, I don't know about yourself, I found this harder than Garage of the Year. It was a really difficult call. There was some genuine and authentic, sincere applications for th- for this award. And for me, um, I think it was really difficult not to um, indulge in my bias. Uh, I think this was the hardest one for me. And I really wanted, again, to see that journey, that progression of where somebody started and then where they ended up and how they got there. So that that was what was important to me. There's a very limited number of tickets still available for the blend at the time of recording. So Hayley, for anyone yet to get round to booking those tickets, why should they book them now before a sellout? I think when you're asking somebody who works for an organisation that represents professionals and the skilled in the community, my answer is going to be because it contributes to your continuous professional development. And I think that is such a great reason to go to um, have that opportunity to see what training is out there, what skills potentially your business is going to need, consolidate those experiences and share them with your peers in order to create some kind of strategy as to how you're going to move forward. Um, But it's also a great opportunity to speak to businesses like yours, to speak to people who've had similar experiences to you, to hear that you're not alone, to hear that perhaps some of those problems that felt like the end of the world when they were happening are not quite as unique as you thought that they were. Now, I know you've been hard at work for the last year or so in your role at the IMI, so I can't let you go without asking What can the independent garage sector expect to see within the next few years? I think the motor industry has previously suffered from a misconception that we don't invest in our skills. And that's absolute tosh, because as we know, those who are vehicle technicians, if you relied solely on what you learned during your apprenticeship, um, you wouldn't be a vehicle technician for very long. Uh, technology runs at such a pace that has demanded that we always keep up with it. We always have. Without the recognition from the wider community of motorists, especially, but also by government, that we are keeping up with technology. So what's going to be different for the immediate future is the increase of regulatory burden within our sector. A lot of that will come through the electricity at work regulation and the legal obligation to annual training and assessment. Those of us who are MOT testers already understand the obligation of continuous professional development and annual assessment, so this won't be completely unfamiliar to those businesses that are engaged in that process and have been for some time. We're also uh, likely to see a surge of um, services for things like air conditioning, um, particularly if the manufacturers continue with their method 
of integrating air conditioning systems into battery thermal management systems. Um, so this could, in some circumstances, lead us to asking motorists uh, whose cars won't charge or run, uh, when did they last have their air conditioning serviced, which is probably going to go down like a cup of cold sick, because uh, they have the expectation they can just roll the window down. Um, the systems are going to be more integrated, so you can't run one without the other in the way that we did previously. This brings me into uh, another aspect of our industry, which we are going to have to pay co close attention to, and that's connectivity and cybersecurity. Uh, this also forms a part of the suite for TechSafe within the IMI. Uh, in order for professionals to operate safely in cyber environments, we're going to have to authenticate who they are and how they can securely process that information. Um, if we're going to get the backing of the manufacturers to access those systems within the aftermarket, we are going to have to show, yes, we are competent and yes, we can prove who we are and our legitimate reason for accessing those systems. What that actually looks like, whether it will be voluntary or regulatory, is currently under discussion at the highest departmental levels and at government as well. And it'll be the business that can continue to be agile and uptake those skills like they always have done. But in addition to uptaking the skills, we're going to have to showcase them and prove to the motorists and government that we are capable, we are strong and we can accommodate Anything with the mention of cyber always seems somewhat futuristic. But when you're talking about cyber security, it's not all here. that futuristic, is it? We're already here. The connected car is here. Personal information is stored on a car now. GDPR is relevant now. And I think sometimes in the motor industry, we've been quite focused on the EV conversation um, but other areas of focus are going to be cybersecurity and also ADAS. We're going to be hugely reliant on wheel alignment, tyre rotation and how these systems are the absolute foundation to the ADAS that rely upon them. And again, we're going to have to showcase those skills. Interesting stuff, Hayley. Anyone go into the blend, do make the time to have a chat with Hayley in between those sessions or on the evening because it's guaranteed to be an interesting one. Hayley Pals, great having you on the podcast and we'll see you very soon. Thank you, Mike. Thanks for listening to The Blend Podcast and a special thanks to today's guests, John Batten and Hayley Powells. Congratulations to the finalists of The Blend Awards 2023. Don't forget that you can find the full list of finalists on The Blend website. All that's left to say is please do subscribe to The Blend Podcast in your usual podcast player. And if you're still yet to get tickets to The Blend, do so now while they're still available. We'll be back with another episode in a couple of weeks. 